Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. And I'm Tim, uh, Tim Gill, and it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, we're in a sermon series called Mastermind. We're looking at how to think like Christ, how to have the same mindset of Jesus. We've been using this passage here in Philippians 2, verse 5, as kind of the theme for this series. It says here, Think the same way that Christ Jesus thought. Man, that's a challenge when you stop and think about it because we're talking about thinking like Christ. We're talking, when we talk about that, we're talking about, man, that's a reach for me. Uh, but to think like Jesus Christ, wow, that, what would that do if I did that? Well, I know one thing it would do. It'd simplify my life. It really would. And it, it, and it would also, uh, set into motion the kind of values I, I, I uh, need to have, uh, my purpose as well. Even the way I see life and the way I see things kind of working around me. And when I think like Christ, one of the things that comes to mind today was that my priorities are also formed by the mindset I have, and especially by the mindset of Christ. Here's a definition of, um, of priorities. It's from vocabulary.com. It says here, a priority is the concern, interest, or desire that comes before all the others. Wow. Uh, you think about this. I mean, because everything can't be important, right? Not everything has the same level of importance. And so it's natural for us to start putting things kind of in some kind of list, some kind of mental list, or some kind of order so we can at least uh, maneuver and function in life. And that's really what priorities are. We start listing, these are my priorities. And, um, and because of this focus, because of this list, I'm, a, I, I'm deciding this will be my primary concern. This is going to be the, my top interest. This is going to be the thing that, that I desire the most above all the others. Now, the Bible's not foreign to this. The Bible all over the place talks about priorities. Look at this here in Proverbs 24, verse 17. It says, first, you should work outside and prepare your fields. After that, you can start having your family. Here's one, and one of the Ten Commandments is, a, is a, a, an idea of a priority. Look what it says here. You are to have no other gods before me. Paul, when he's talking to a young preacher named Timothy, he said this to him to encourage him to keep his focus. He said, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. See the priority there? And then Paul would say this to the church of Colossae. He'd say, focus your mind on things above, not on the things of, on, on earth. And so the Bible has just got lots of verses, lots of passages that talk about what matters, what should matter, what I should place above something else. We call these, again, our priorities. Last week, we were talking about humility, and we were tearing, just really tearing down and looking at Philippians 2, where it says here to think like Christ, have the same mindset of Christ, or your attitude should be the same as Christ. And then it describes what that attitude, what that mindset, what the kind of thoughts that I should have and what they lead to. And I noticed as I was preparing for today that you see priorities all over the place, that Jesus is adjusting priorities based on what's on his mind the most and what he's focused on the most. For example... You see him lowering himself. He says that, that, that he did not grasp his deity or his position with God. He didn't hold on to it. But it says he made himself, he lowered himself. There he goes to our level, to our level. You see also that he places, it says he made himself nothing. He humbled himself, in other words. And it, in other words, he decided that he would please God above pleasing himself. So if he's pleasing himself, he says, well, I'm going to please God more. I'm more concerned about that. And so he's lowered his own desire to be pleased and raised his desire to please God. You see this also, he says he humbled himself taking the form of a servant. So when Jesus looked at other people and he saw his need to be served and how he should serve others, he places his need to be served below. It isn't as important as serving other people. In fact, the Bible says he sacrificed himself 
by making himself nothing and in humility, he would sacrifice himself for others. And he said, by being obedient, in other words, that pleasing God priority, even death on the cross, he was obedient to that point. I got to thinking, what are some common factors that form our priorities? I got to thinking about my own priorities throughout life. Well, how have I listed what's important over, over, you know, what I will do, what I won't do, what matters, what doesn't matter, and they're changing all the time. What are those factors that play such a big part in shaping our priorities? Let me give you a list, okay? First one is my love. Love has a big impact on what matters and what doesn't matter, what I'm interested in and what I'm going to ignore. For example, a person, a person that you love, you know, that, uh, your love for them has a big impact on where you place them in your life. If you're married or you have children or you have friendships, not only what, who I love, including God, can set that priority in my life, it's what I love too. The things I love, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's a pleasure, maybe it's something I just love to do. Or it's a, a particular item that I that I love. And you can love things, sure. You can. The Bible warns us not to love things. Okay, of course you can love things. I remember as a youth minister, way back in the day, I would go around and visit kids that were riding the church bus, and I'd go to their homes on Sunday morning, uh, uh, up till about maybe one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And as I'd go to house to house, I'd meet the parents, meet the kids, tell them when the bus was coming by, telling, inviting the parents to come to church as well. And uh, one, I, every, every Saturday, I could go by this one house because at this house, there in a little town in Claremont, Illinois, there was a fella that had a restored Corvair. It was from the 60s, and it was restored. It was, you know, uh, powder puff blue color, metallic blue, I guess, maybe, and then... And the chrome was shiny. It looked like it was in perfect shape. And every Saturday when I'd go by and go by this guy's house, there he'd be working on the car. Well, basically cleaning it. He'd have a rag on it. And one time I struck up a conversation with him and asked him a little bit about that. And I said, so what's going on here? I mean, uh, you really must love this car. He goes, I show this car. And he goes, and Tim, uh, every Saturday I wipe this car down and clean everything. He opens up the hood, and the engine is spotless. There's chrome pieces in there that you can see yourself. It's so clear and so perfect. He says, I wipe this engine down every Saturday. And I walked away thinking, wow, he loves that car. Look at the time and the effort and the work and the focus he puts into it. Yeah, you can love something, and it can become a priority in your life. But it's not just our love for something. There's other things that control our priorities or shape them. My body, our bodies do this. The age we are. Remember when you were young? When you, maybe you're, you know, five, six, seven, and all the energy you had. And now as an old, adult, you're, you don't have the energy. Have your priorities changed because of that? Of course they have. Or maybe even your abilities. I remember, well, as a kid, Oh, as a young man realizing I'm probably not going to be on the Olympic team. You know why? Because I didn't have the ability that these athletes had. And so my body limits and even forms and fashions what's important and what isn't in life. Also, my appetites, you know, what I like to eat, what I like, what I, what I seek for pleasure, have an impact on what's important to me and what isn't. And even my health, when you stop and think about it, as, as, as we live, sometimes we go through seasons where our health is not very well and we're not able to take care of certain things. And so they are lowered on our priority list while getting well and exercising, dieting, become more of a priority. Not only does our body do this, but our emotions have a big impact on our, on our uh, priorities as well, what matters to us. Like, Motions besides fear, emotions like fear. I know people who are, and I can, I've experienced this, where fear has affected what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. What I'm going to risk, when I'm going to risk, and when I don't. Worry can do the same thing. I'm so worked up and worried that this has become a very important issue in my life or a very important uh, focus in my life because of worry. Guilt, same way. I know people, they carry around guilt and, and what they do in life 
has been affected by guilt and shame. Grief works that way. Even anger can have, where a person can be so angry, so bitter, that their priority is to get even, to have their pound of flesh. Circumstances also shape. Here's, a, here's a, another one, a fourth one, circumstances. You know, uh, a crisis. How many times have you been interrupted by a phone call or an accident or a crisis? And all hands on deck. And uh, what was important a second ago is no longer important because this crisis now has to be dealt with. And I have to focus on this thing. Or maybe you've had a major event take place in your life. You get married. And that changes your priorities. I know when I got married, I couldn't think like a single anymore. I had to think about my wife. I had to think about what she wanted and what, how it would affect her. Or having children. Boy, there's a big one. There's a big adjustment of our priorities. Or maybe there's a milestone in your life. Maybe you graduate or you get that first job or you, you move somewhere or you achieve something. All of a sudden, this, these things, these circumstances begin to affect what matters, what's important, what you're interested in, what you desire. Here's the fifth one, it's goals. Goals play a big part in shaping and forming our priorities. You say, well, aren't goals a priority? No, goals are a bigger picture. It's the priorities that put legs on reaching the goal. For example, I want to be financially free. So what are my priorities? Well, one is not eating out so much or, or not using the plastic so much or I'm going to, I'm going to save up before, before I purchase something. I'm going to look at, I'm going to really research the product. I'm going to, I'm going to save a little. I'm going to invest a little. See how those are priorities all of a sudden. Or let's say your health and you, you go, you know, I want to, I want to uh, be feel, be healthy, physically healthy. So what does that do? Well, it affects what I'm going to eat now and how much I'm going to exercise. And so goals have a big impact. And I think goals are good. I mean, what is your goal in life? What is your goal in life? You know how you can tell what your goal is? Look at your priorities. And then there's the sixth one. And maybe it's an overlooked one. And that's what I really want to center on a little bit today here is, is that is my faith. That my faith shapes my priorities. Oh, you're talking about religion. No, not necessarily. There's a lot of things in life that we, we go through and operate based on faith. For a lot of things we do that we don't even try to question. We don't even question them. There's plans we make. Some people plan vacations a year ahead of time. And by faith, they hope that they'll be able to go when, when it finally arrives. By faith, they hope to still be around, you know. Uh, there's people we put our faith in. We put our faith in doctors, in policemen, in teachers, in leaders. We put our faith in our spouses. Do we really know these people? Well, some we know more than others, but some we don't have a clue. Yet we trust them. We trust them. And they're somebody, if they tell us we need to do something, we need to try something, that we'll listen. We're influenced by it. A new job. How do you know if a job's going to work out? Well, you're not going to know unless you sign up. And some people take this risk of quitting their old job and trying a new one. And they have faith that it's going to work out. <clears throat> structures. I'm, sitting, I'm right now sitting in a concrete dome. You know, and, and structures. And even though it's standing and it's fine, it seems to be fine, I, by faith I come in and trust this structure. You trust cars, seatbelts to work, all that. You say, well, it's worked before. Yeah, but how do you know it's going to work the next time? It's because you trust it. You have faith in it. Data. All kinds of data we put our faith in. I mean, you can't, you can't uh, ignore all the data for COVID. And how have you changed your idea and your opinion about COVID? Why, well, there's a study that comes out that says it's this, and there's another study that says this. And we put our faith in, in a medical profession. We put our faith in science. We put our faith in vaccines, in masks, in, in distancing, believing this is going to work, hoping, expecting it to work. And of course, there's a lot of faith that we put in, in theories. Even scientists will admit 
that a lot of the things that they're studying starts with a theory. And by faith, they go looking, they go searching. Faith is a normal part of life. And it's our faith, I believe our faith in God that has the biggest impact on our priorities. Let me ask you a question is before we get into the rest of this lesson. And that is, um, what do you think are your top priorities? What would you say would be your top five priorities, let's say? You know, probably in your priorities, if you're like me and like so many people, uh, work is going to be a priority. Family is going to be a priority. Your health may be a priority. Recreation might be up there. Um, relationships, friendships, sure they're up there. Lots of things. And for maybe some of you, you say, well, what about, I'm thinking of spiritual priorities. And that's, a, that's important to think about. Is that in the top five? Where is that priority, that spirit, that, that focus, that desire, that, that interest, uh, that, that uh, concern about spiritual matters? Because that, that one there perhaps has the biggest impact on what matters to you and what you're going to do in life. You know, even Jesus said something about priorities. He said instead, he says this, make, after he talked about everything else, things like what we eat, what we wear, our shelter, all these things were, that are on our list, he says, make your top priority God's kingdom and his way of life. And all these things will be given to you as well. He says, you don't have to worry about all that other stuff. This is what matters. This should be your top priority. So let's look at this. Let's look at this. Uh, what I want to do is I want, to, I want us to look at three questions that I believe help you and I that will help us determine what our priorities are going to be. Okay? I think there are three questions you have to answer on your own. What are they? Well, number one, does God really exist? Does God really exist? See, your, your answer to that question has a huge impact on not only what you think, but on how you behave. And this answer will, will define what matters to you the most. Let me give you a couple examples here in the Scripture. In Psalms 10.4, David writes, the wicked arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since God does not exist. I mean, think about it. If there's no God, then there are no standards to be concerned about. No responsibility. Morality is subject, is subjective to whatever you think it is, whatever you think is right, whatever I think is right. And because, and because I answer uh, to no one, I only answer to me. It's almost like I'm, I've made me my God. If there's no God. Look how uh, David says it this way. The fool says in his heart, God does not exist. And look what it says. They are corrupt. What's he mean by corrupt? They're crooked. They're unethical. They're shady. Because they don't believe there's a God, they are corrupt. They do vile, in other words, disgusting things. Boy, if that doesn't describe our culture today, the godlessness in our culture, there's, this, there's no accountability. When you don't believe there's a God, you don't have, you're on your own. You don't have to answer to anybody. And, and it corrupts our lives with crooked and unethical, unethical behavior. We're seeing that all over the place. And people are doing disgusting things, evil things. But on the other hand, if you think God exists, then what, then what matters, what concerns you, what interests you, I'm sorry, if you don't think He exists, what concerns you and what matters and what your, and your desires kind of begin to settle and center around you. But if you think he does exist, if I think God exists, then my view of life is going to change. My perspective is going to be different. I'm going to realize that this isn't all about, my life is not about me. Being here is not about me. 
there's a bigger purpose than just me. Here's a Hebrews 11:6. The Hebrew writer says it this way, without faith, no one can please God. Whoever comes to God, and look what it says, must believe what? That he is real. And that he rewards those who sincerely try to find him. What a great, great passage here. Because you're seeing is when, when I bring my faith, if I believe God exists, and I believe he rewards, I'm saying I believe that he exists, first of all. I can please him that he exists. And secondly, that he rewards, I'm saying that he's interested and involved in my life. Now, I want you to know I believe God exists. Jesus believed God existed. He believed He was real. And this mindset changed His mission. It changed His views. It changed His plans. It changed His goals. In other words, it changed His priorities. In John 8, He says this. When you, after he, by the way, before I say that, in John 8, He's talking to some people here and He's talking to a crowd of people and they're asking Him, who are you? And he says, well, I'll tell you what. And he says to them, he says something that disturbs them. He basically says, if you don't believe me, you're going to die in your sin. And he goes, well, who are you? And he goes, oh, I've been telling you since the beginning who I am. It's obvious who I am. And then he says this, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, he goes, when you lift me up, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own. It's not, I don't make, my life's not about me, he's saying. But speak just what the Father has taught me. It's about God who exists. And he calls his, by the way, he calls God his Father. He says, the one who sent me and is with me has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. You see, because he's God's son, he calls God his Father. And you think about a father. Father is a source of life. He's a creator. He's that that he he's he's saying I'm created by you, and like a father I'm guided by you, I'm loved by you, I get my purpose from you. You you teach me and instruct me what to do with my life, and you're involved in my life. And what Jesus is doing here, what I want you to see is how how his priority is working here. He's saying I'm setting myself aside. I'm not here to do what I want. I'm here to do what God wants. That's his first priority. I want you to know this morning that God is your Father too. And this, your Creator, the God who's created you, because He's your Father, this is a special bond like no other. I remember when my sons were born. I remember, you know, I've seen babies, but not these. These are mine. These, these come from me. And there's this special bond. I remember sitting down and writing a letter to both of both Nathan and Matthew the moment they were born, I went out to the hallway as they're getting everything ready and I start writing my dreams for them, what I intend to do for them, what I, intend to, what I expect from them, how much I love them and how much excited I am and I've been waiting for them. That's a special bond that we have with our Creator. Do you understand? He, there's a special bond between the maker and the thing that's made. The maker knows how the thing that's made, how it works, how it ticks, what it thinks. It's just no one knows how to work on you, to help you like your creator. That's exciting to think about. See, you weren't slapped together. This wasn't some kind of, you know, well, on a whim, God goes, oh, I'm going to slap you together, and you're just a bunch of flesh and bone. No, God put a lot of forethought. He's been waiting for you. He's been, he was thinking before, the Bible says, before you or even I were even born, He had planned our life, each day of our life. So you're not chemicals and matter. No, you matter. You matter to Him. And so God has thought, thought it through. And He's been involved. He wants to be involved like a father. He wants to be a good father. He wants to be involved in your life. And so He provides what you need. He, he not only provides, He guides. He wanted to create you. 
And because he did, he is so for you and he wants to help you. He made you for a purpose and he'll do anything, anything to save you, even die for you. Why wouldn't you want to please someone like that? That's why Jesus saw his father and went, why would I, who else do I want to please? I want to please you over myself. Someone that good? Huh. Obviously, I want to please you. I'm making that a, a, a higher priority than pleasing myself. You see, I want you to understand something. The priorities you have right now, what matters to you, what interests you, what you're living for, and what you're caught up in, you're spending your time, your money, your talents on, is based on what you really believe about God. What you really believe. Does He really exist? I can't go into details. I, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, let's look at the existence of God. You know, the Bible just assumes you believe in God. That's how it starts. It says, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. I mean, that's how it starts. It just assumes you do. There's not a lot of evidence in the Bible that proves that God, of God's existence, so to speak, okay? No, it just assumes you do, and you would. But I want you to know, what you believe about God is forming your priorities right now. So that question, you, only you can answer. And you've got to research this. You've got to study this. You've got to look for this and try to figure out how, which way are you coming down on the existence of God. Either He exists or either He doesn't. And if He doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do. But if He does, everything you do matters. Here's question number two. That's why am I here? <laughs> you ever anybody ever say this? What are you doing here? <laughs> you know, why are you here? <laughs> Maybe you've asked yourself, why am I here? That's a good question. You know, if you ask Jesus, why are you here? He'd give you over 30 reasons. He'd say, well, I came to, to seek and save the lost. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I came to serve and not be served. I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He just on and on. He's got this long list. I came to give glory to God. I came to give life, a full life. Why are you here? Jesus was created and knew he was created for a purpose and he knew why he was here. It's a big question when you stop and think about it. And because he knew why he was here. Yes, he says, I'm the bread of life. Yes, he says, I'm, I'm the door, I'm the shepherd, and I'm the way, the truth, the life. But he says, but I also am here. I'm here, not this by identity, but I have a purpose. And I'm here to accomplish the will of God. I'm here to accomplish what I've been made to do. Uh, Bertrand Russell popular atheist said these words, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. Now this idea of does God exist and why am I here really relate a lot. And they're very, two very important questions that you need to answer. You know, one evening, um, a few weeks ago, I was outside walking around. I, I, I walk around sometimes. It's, it was a nice night. It wasn't too cold. Had had a little jacket on, and the stars, the the sky was crisp and clear. The stars are out. The moon's out. And for some reason, I I just looked around, and with I didn't have my Bible with me. I didn't have a Bible verse in my head. I just used some good old brains. I looked at my I just thought thought about logically looking at what I was seeing outside. And I noticed the stars. And I said to myself, I kid you not, I went, where did you guys come from? I didn't make you. I see the moon. And I go, I didn't make that. Then I see my house. I look at my house, I go, now Moyer Construction built that house. I know how that got there. I know who made it. I hear a dog bark, a neighbor's dog, which is often where I live. And I go, I didn't make that. 
I wish I had, I wish that I had, you know, anybody didn't make that one, that particular dog, but <laughs> another story. But the idea of, I didn't make that. I see my truck. I know who made that. I go, I know who made that. It says it on the side, Dodge. I hear a hoot owl. I go, I didn't make that. I see some clouds starting to block out the moon. I didn't make those clouds. I see a tree. I didn't make that. Smokey, my cat, brushes up against me. And I, I'm kidding you. I look down and go, didn't make that. I see a porch light, a light bulb, and I go, that was invented by Thomas Edison. I know where that come from. And I know its function. I'm looking at my watch and I go, as complicated as it is, and I see the word Casio on it. I know who made this. I go, man made that. I tug on my jacket. Someone made this. And then I notice my hand. Someone made this. Who made this? And I, re I realized, and I went, Lord, whoever made the stars and the moon, and there was Jupiter and Saturn close together that night, and I said, and, and me? You made everything. Who made this? How did it get here? And if God made it, did He make me? I was just speechless. Just sat there, listening to the sounds all around me of things made by man and things made by God. How did you get here? You've got to ask that. You've got to ask yourself that question. Another question is, why are you here? Genesis 1 says, the Bible starts off by saying, just making it clear, wants you to know why or how you got here. It says here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. David, generations later, would look at or look around and he would say these words in Psalms 19. The heavens tell about the glory of God, what God is about and what God is like. The skies show that his hands created them. In Psalms 139, the psalmist says this. He looks at himself. Because I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. I have to admit, it's mind-boggling. Comp how complicated the structure of life is. And I'm, I'm speaking into a Sony camera, and it's got a, all this gadgets and stuff, and it says on the lens, uh, Vario so, so, I don't even know what that is, what all this stuff, 2.8, all these weird numbers and stuff. It's so complicated. I know that just didn't come together. I know someone put that together, someone intelligent enough to fashion the parts and put them in a combination in such a way that it could record my image. And this camera that I'm looking into is nothing compared to a cat or a dog or a star or you. We're so much more complicated than this stuff. So I have to ask myself, is everything here by chance or by design? When you get a chance, I'd like you to go to YouTube and there's a little video called The Atheist Dilemma or Delusion. The Atheist Delusion. And we've got the, and hopefully we can put that address, you can see that, but just type in The Atheist Delusion and there's a nine minute video that uh, you can watch. It just asks that question to people. People that do not believe in the existence of God. So I just want you to ask yourself, just ask yourself, am I the result of chance or design? 
Because see, God is, God has made it obvious to everyone. And He appeals to your logic without a Bible in your hand, just to look around. And you can see the difference between what man makes and what he makes. And, th- and the thing I want you to understand is if, 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 if we're here, if you are, I are here and we were made on purpose, by design, that means there's a mission, there's something we're, we're made, there's a function. We've been made to do something while on this earth. Everything you do, everything I do matters. My priorities, they matter too. And if I ignore, if you ignore, if we ignore, we ignore God and what He has done, and we say, Lord, I'm just going to do what I want, you realize we're going to miss the life that He designed and made us to have, to experience? So you have to ask, you have to answer this question. Not only does God exist, and if you believe He does, it'll mess with your priorities, it'll adjust them, it did the Lord's. And if you answer the question, why am I here? And you realize it's not by chance. And it's not by chance. I'm here on purpose. Then what am I going to do with this life? This gift that God has given me? But there's a third question. And this question is, what's going to happen after I die? They're big questions, I, you know, aren't they? All three of them. What's going to happen after I die? What will happen to me? After I die. See, most people don't want to think about death. I've done lots of funerals. You know what people want? They want the preacher to hurry up, get it over with, and get out and think, go, to, go to some restaurant or the church and have some potato salad. I mean, they're, they're like, man, the thought of death is the last thing they want to have. Man, if you want, you, want to, you want to kill a conversation, bring up death and see what happens. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to think about it. But the thing is, it's good to think about death. It really does. It has a, it's a blessing in it. Ecclesiastes 7, Solomon, wisest man ever lived, next to Jesus, said this, It is better to go to a funeral than to a party. <laughs> That's just funny. It's better to go to a funeral than to a party. You ever have anybody call you up and say, Hey man, you want to go out? Want to do something tonight? Where are we going? We're going to a funeral. You're not going to want to go to that, right? Bible says it's better to go to a funeral than a party. Why? Well, we must all we all must die, Solomon says. Everyone living should think about this. Because it's you ought to think about this. You may not want to think about it, but you should. Now, why should I think about what happens to me after I die? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, because, because the thought of our death, the, the thought of dying has a big impact on what I'm going to do. Let me give you an example. Let's say you were told, you go to the doctor's office, he gives you the long face and says you've got two months to live. You Tell me, is that going to change your priorities in life? Is your job going to matter? Are the bills going to matter like they did before that, before you heard that? Oh yeah, everything changes. You know what matters? I've talked to people who only have a few months to live. You know what they they want to do? They want their family and friends around them. They're not interested in, well, here's a bill from you know Dish Network. I don't care about that. I'm not going to be around to see you know that. Who cares? Or are you going to going to come into work? No, I'm not coming into work. Are you crazy? I've only got two months left. I'm not going to waste it. That's what we say. I'm not going to waste it working. No, I'm going to spend it with my family. I'm going, to, I'm going to go somewhere I've never been before. People will do that. I'm going to see something I've always wanted to see, but I've never had time for it. But now I do because I have less time. That's what happens when you think about dying. It will mess with what's important in life. And the length of your life, I want you to put that in the back of your mind, the length of your life adjusts your priorities too. When you stop and think about it, we'll come back to that in a minute. Because see, it really is, it, it's, it's like this. 
God gives you and I another reason that we should think about death. And what is it? Well, that he wants us to understand that life here on earth is temporary. You say, well, of course. I just want to make sure you understand. He's saying life here is temporary. And you should use this temporary season in your existence to get ready for what's after death. To prepare yourself for heaven. You see, God made you and I to last a lot longer than 80 years or 100 years. He has an eternity in view and everything He did for you and I and He does for you and I is in the light of eternity. That's what He sees. He isn't just focused on... I know sometimes we, some people, they, they just want God to fix their life here on earth. Oh, would you take care of me here? Take care of me here. And God goes, man, I got so much more I want to do with you than just here on earth. I got plans for you after you're done here on earth. You're desi- See, you and I are designed to live longer than to, than to live here just on earth. Paul realized that. And he tells the Christians at, at, at Corinth these words in 1 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. What's he talking about? He's talking about this tent, which is temporary. You go camping, you don't live out in the woods in a tent, right? If you're going to go live out in the woods, eventually you're going to do what? Build a house. Why? Because a tent is temporary. It's not made to last. But a house, it's made to last a lot longer than a tent. And he says here, he talks about this earthly tent and this eternal house. One is built by man. The other one's built by God. One is earthly, limited to the time on earth. The other one is eternal. If it's limited, it's limited by the timetable of heaven. I mean, just imagine if you were told that you knew you were going to live for 80 years. Would that change the way you did things? Would you prepare for some things? I mean, if you only knew you were going to live for a few moments, would you prepare for retirement? Would you prepare for whatever in the future? No, because you know you're not going to experience any of that. But if you knew you were going to live longer, wouldn't it change your plans, your purpose, your priorities? The Bible says we live much, much, much longer than that. What am I doing to prepare for that? What am I doing to prepare for eternity? You see, death is really a transition, not a termination. It's a door. And only a fool Only a fool would go through this life unprepared for the inevitable. And that's why Jesus thinks, that's why you see Jesus, whatever he's doing, he's thinking about eternity more than, and not less. He's thinking about eternity so much more than just our time on earth. He thought and lived in the light of eternity. And that, because that was at the core of what he taught and what he thought, it, it came out in what he taught and it came out what he did while on the earth. And he wants you to think the same way, to think of eternity and getting ready, using this life to get ready for eternal life. Let me read you some passages here. In John 5, he says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message, he says, and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. He says, well, if you make it your priority to listen to me and you believe, believe in God, you're going to have eternal life. He says, they will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. In John 6, he says this, this is what my father wants. This is the th- mindset of Jesus. This is what he believes and this is what he thinks. This is what my father wants, that anyone who sees the son and trusts who he is and what he does and then aligns with him, will enter real life, eternal life. Let me ask you, if there is more, if there is more after you die, what are you doing to be prepared 
for that life. See, the Bible says our life is a mist. It's a fog. It's here, and then it disappears. I, like a vapor, it goes by. It's, it goes by so fast. We say time flies. It sure has. I can't believe I'm in my 60s now. It does feel like yesterday I was a, a boy, a little boy on a farm. It has flown by. It's, I, don't need, I don't need a Bible to tell me that. I know that. You know that. It just goes by so quickly. But I want you to know the consequences of our choices, they're going to last forever. So what are you doing to get ready for eternity? How much of a priority is that? Where are your priorities right now? Where are they, are they, are they right now? Preparing you for after all this? Just remember again, the consequences of our choices will last forever. John said this in 1 John, the world is passing away. And all the things that people want in the world are passing away. He said, all the things that matter to people, they're going to pass, they're going to pass away. They are passing away. Haven't you noticed that? Have you noticed your priorities have changed over time? They should. They should. Because we go into different seasons and different things happen. And all these factors. But they should because of your faith in God too. That should be the biggest, the biggest reason for adjusting your priorities. He says everything, all these things that people want, their priorities, if you will, are passing away. But whoever does what God wants, whoever does what God wants will live forever. Whoever does, whoever embraces what's, what, what God's concerned about, what God is interested in, what God desires, oh my goodness, they live forever. I'm going to read two passages to you as we close. Just ask yourself, where are your priorities right now? Where would God say they are? Where would people say they are? But most importantly, where would you say they are? Ask yourself, what am I really doing here? There is a God. He made me for a purpose. I'm going to live beyond this life, this life here on earth. What matters now? This is Galatians 6. Don't be fooled. You cannot cheat God. People harvest only what they plant. If they plant to satisfy their sinful selves, their sinful selves will bring them ruin. But if they plant to please the Spirit, they'll receive eternal life from the Spirit. Romans 2. He will reward or punish everyone for what they've done. Some people live for God's glory, for honor, and for life that cannot be destroyed. They live for those things by always continuing to do good. God will give eternal life to them. But others are selfish and refuse to follow truth. They follow evil. God will show His anger and punish them. See, what you're doing now is going to have a big impact on what's going to happen after you die. So where are your priorities this morning? What's important to you? And will you adjust those priorities in a way that pleases God that's more in line with the mindset of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and thank You for Your Spirit. Father, thank You for life, for the gift of life. Father, there's so many things that affect what we do, we have to choose. You know, we know not everything is important. And sometimes, Father, some, some things that we choose aren't as important as what you would say. Father, help us 
Help us choose the things that matter to you. Father, fill our minds. Change the way we think. Help us think like Jesus. Father, give us the courage and the faith to answer these simple questions. Father, if you don't exist, we're in trouble. I'm in trouble. If you don't exist, then nothing really matters. There's no meaning to life. But Father, because you do exist, you give great meaning to life. And I pray, Father, those that are watching and listening, that they'll, they, they'll bring their questions to you, bring their logic to you, and just let you speak to them. Father, because you exist, we can feel loved, we can feel helped, we can feel your protection. We thank you for the special bond. It's just sometimes, Father, we don't know what we're supposed to do, so we ask for your guidance. We know you've made us a certain way to do a certain thing. Help us understand what it is. Father, pray that those that's listening, those that are watching, Father, someone here that will change their priorities so they can experience eternal life. Father, I pray for every Christian, every Christian, especially in America. We get, we're so confused about, we think everybody that dies ought to go to heaven like it's a pass. Father, there are things you're wanting us to do, and if we're ignoring them, why would we expect to spend eternity with you if we're not interested in those things now? Oh, God, help us be interested. Move us with your Holy Spirit. Help us change. Help us change what matters. To get ourselves off the throne and put you on the throne. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.